last letter. It's kind of his uh, uh, farewell discourse to his son in the faith, Timothy. And uh, you can follow along on the screen as I read these uh, uh, five or six verses. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me with in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and he's called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Let's, uh, let's pray together as we look into God's word this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can be here today to uh, worship you, to encourage one another, uh, to choose joy, uh, whether the sun is shining or whether it's a little dreary and cloudy, Lord, we can choose joy because our joy is found in you. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege we have to open up your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, would take your word and speak to each of us individually. Lord, that um, we would hear your voice, that we would be like uh, Samuel, who, who said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening and that our lives would be encouraged and changed uh, through your word today. So uh, help us to uh, listen, help us to apply, uh, help us to open up our life to what you have for us today, and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this morning we're going to start a journey through uh, a very interesting book in the Bible, and uh, I mentioned before I read the scripture, it's uh, it's Paul's last letter. It's the letter of Second Timothy, and uh, we've entitled this "Timeless Truths in Troubled Times," and we're certainly living in troubled times. And when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, uh, he was living in troubled times as well. And the fact that we experience trouble in life should not surprise us. I remember Jesus' words in the upper room, John sixteen thirty three. He said, "In this world, you what will have trouble." But then he gives us that encouragement: "Take heart, I've overcome the world." The word there, trouble, means pressure, affliction, persecution. Tribulation. In fact, Peter, in his uh, letter to persecuted Christians, uh, the the book of First Peter, with a theme "Pain with a Purpose," says, "Don't be fr- surprised, friends, at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you." And very shortly, the people that Peter was writing to were going to experience the fiery test of Nero. Remember from history that uh, Rome burned down and Nero was looking for some scapegoats and he, he blamed the Christians. And so shortly after Peter writes this, Christians were being martyred. They were being used as human torches to light Nero's gardens. Don't be surprised about trials and trouble and difficulty. And so we're going to think about uh, some timeless truths in troubled times. I'm glad God's given us some resources for times of difficulty in our life. 
Just by way of introduction, we're going to think about three of them very quickly. So where do we turn in times of trouble? Well, uh, James chapter 5, verse 13 says, uh, prayer is a good place to turn. I love James 5, 13. It's, uh, James writes these words and asks some questions. Is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. Is anybody happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anybody sick? Let him call for the elders or the leaders of the church. And so James says, first response when we fall into trouble should be that we should pray. And God's given us that resource and access, uh, direct access to God into his throne room. Uh, Prayer is a great resource. There's another resource for trouble, and it's people. Uh, Specifically, uh, the family of God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where uh, Paul writes, and he talks about um, the God of all comfort. That God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles or tribulations so that we can tr- comfort others with the same comfort we've received from God. In other words, when we turn to God as our resource and help in trouble, and he's there to help us, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And when we experience that, that encouragement from God, he then wants us to be a conduit to help other people that may be facing the same difficulties that we face. So I hope we have a group of people. And the church is a great place to develop that, that, that safety net, that group of people that we can turn to in times of trouble. But there's a third resource in times of trouble, and it's where we're going to go in Second Timothy in just, just a little bit. It's not only prayer and people, but it's precepts, uh, specifically precepts of uh, God's word, God's truth. And uh, that's where we want to turn this morning as we think about Second Timothy, because Paul wrote to Timothy when he was experiencing some very, very challenging times uh, in his own life. And uh, so let's look at Second Timothy chapter 1. And uh, the first uh, few verses here, as Paul writes this letter uh, to Timothy, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. So here Paul identifies himself as uh, right off the bat, he's writing this letter. When, when we write letters, if people write letters anymore today, that's becoming a lost art. We put the name at the, the, the end of the letter. Uh, in Scripture, they put it at the very beginning. This is Paul. I'm an apostle, a, a sent one from God by, by God's will. And I'm writing to my son in the faith, Timothy. And so Paul's writing to, to Timothy. Now, who is Timothy? Well, Timothy uh, was uh, a pastor in Ephesus. Timothy had accompanied Paul on his second and third missionary journey. So they were a very, very close close friends. And Paul was Timothy's mentor. We know a little bit about Timothy's home life, that he and his family, his, his father was a Greek, so probably uh, a Gentile, probably not a believer. But he had a mother and a grandmother, uh, a mother and a grandmother who built into Timothy's life. And this is Paul's last letter. Timothy's living in troubled times because Paul's about to die. 
Paul was Paul was was Timothy's right hand man. Paul was the one that that Timothy looked up to when Timothy had problems. He would uh, he would go to Paul, and Paul's ready to die. And Timothy's pastoring a church in Ephesus, and and things aren't going very well. There's some false teachers that are infiltrating the church. Timothy has some physical problems and some physical issues, and and Timothy needs some help and he needs some encouragement and some persecution is coming and Nero's persecution is about ready to be ramped up and so Paul's in prison. He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome and he writes from that dark, dirty, damp prison this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. I can I can describe it and uh, basically it was a cistern that was... Uh, uh, basically, Paul's a hole in the ground. And uh, the Mamertine prison was a place where they took prisoners, not to hold them long term, but it was kind of a holding cell until you faced execution. And believe me, it was not a fun place to be. It, it was dark, it was damp, it was cold, and it was lonely. And so Paul later in the letter is asking Timothy, hey, if you can come visit me, bring, bring a coat and a parchment and, and bring, uh, bring me some, some, um, writing utensils. And so the apostle Paul, uh, is in this dark, damp prison and, uh, he writes to Timothy. Well, we want to think about what, how, uh, what Paul, uh, writes to Timothy about and think about uh, the message from the first chapter and what Timothy is saying, or Paul saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to be encouraged. And I want us to realize that, um, we are living in troubled times just like Paul and Timothy were living in troubled times. Let me describe to you the, the troubled times in which we're living in and then we'll get into the, the uh, book of Second Timothy. But as you know, we're living in an increasingly secularized, godless culture. Uh, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And that kind of describes the culture in which we're living in today. Uh, Judges, the last verse from the book of Judges says, There was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Here's how Christian apologist Abdu Murray and this is from 2018, uh, describes the culture in which we live. He writes, we live in a post-truth culture. Post-truth denotes circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping opinion than appeals to emotion and personal beliefs. In other words, feelings and preferences matter more than facts and truth. That's the culture we live in today. Anyone who brings facts that challenge these feelings or preferences is labeled as a a hater or something similarly derogatory. So increasingly, our culture embraces confusion as a virtue and decries certainty as a sin. Those who are confused about sexuality and identity are viewed as heroes. Those who are confused about morality are progressive pioneers those who are confused about spirituality are praised as, in, as tolerant. Conversely, those who express certainty about any of these issues are seen as oppressive, arrogant, or intolerant. So we're living 
in troubled times. Uh, just like Paul and Timothy were living in, in troubled times and, and times of increasing persecution. And so Paul writes to Timothy to, to encourage him. And that's the message this morning. Uh, we need to be encouraged. And um, here's Paul writing to Timothy. And here's his first uh, bit of encouragement. You need to be encouraged because you are loved and valued. Timothy, you are loved and valued. Let's look at it uh, beginning in um, verse 2. Paul writes to Timothy, my dear son or my beloved son. The word there, beloved, is the word agape. It's, it's, it's speaking of, of God's love. Uh, Timothy, you are, you are loved by God. You are loved with an unconditional love. And so the first truth that we need to grasp this morning in this world in which everyone is looking for for love, sometimes in all the wrong places, that the first point is to realize how much God loves us. Dr. Jeremiah wrote a book, David Jeremiah, God Loves You, He Always Has and He Always Will. He describes God's love as this, like this, God's love is uncaused, God's love is unending, God's love is unlimited. God's love is unchanging. God's love is unconditional. And so Paul writes to the Ephesian believers and he says, I want you to understand how deep and wide and and the breadth and the height of of God's love because God's love is unending, unlimited, unchanging, and unconditional. So Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you're loved. I want you to realize how much you are loved by, by God and His great love for us. And if we ever question that in our lives, we simply need to think of the cross and God's greatest expression of love in sending His Son Jesus for us. Timothy, you're loved and, and, and you have value. We are not loved because of what we do. We are loved because we are human beings. God loves us because we are created in His image. Timothy, you're not only loved by God, but you're loved by other people. You're, you're loved by, by Paul. And this letter of 2 Timothy is Paul's most, most um, intimate letter, most personal letter. He calls Timothy his, his son in the faith. Notice in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, every day, night and day, I am praying for you. And Paul expressed his love to Timothy by praying for him. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Secondly, um, verse 4, Paul says, recalling your tears. Most commentators think that this is recalling the last time that Paul and Timothy saw each other. And and now, as Paul's being taken off and being arrested and taken to prison, Timothy is is expressing his, his tears because of his love for, for Paul and this special relationship that they had. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now the translation says, I'm greatly desiring to see you. And so Paul wants to see Timothy one last time. And Paul knows that the time is short. That's why later in the letter, in uh, 2 Timothy 4.9, he says, do your best to come quickly to me. 
Because Paul knows that uh, soon he's going to die. He's going to be executed. And Paul loves Timothy. And he's asking Timothy to make one more trip to come see him and to do it quickly. And Paul's praying for him. And so, Timothy, you're loved by God and you're loved by your mentor, your, 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 your father, your spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to him. Thirdly, Timothy, you're loved by your family. Verse 5. Uh, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That's the word unhypocritical. Uh, means you have the real thing, Timothy. You have genuine faith in Jesus. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy, you have a legacy. Your, your grandmother was a follower of Jesus. Your mother was a follower of Jesus, Eunice, and now you're a follower of Jesus. And Timothy, you've been loved by your family. We mentioned that Acts 16.1 tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek, probably not a follower of Jesus. But Timothy grew up in a home led by a, a grandmother and a mother who, who poured their lives into young Timothy. We read about it in, in 2 Timothy 3.15 where Paul writes later in the letter, uh, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy, you've known the scriptures since you were a, the word there, infancy, is word for a baby. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word, brephos. From when you were a tiny baby, your mother and your grandmother built God's truth into you. Timothy, you have been loved by your family. And thank God this morning for uh, moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, and maybe you've had one who, who built into your life, who prayed for you, who made sure that you were exposed to the gospel and, and to God's truth. And Timothy had a godly heritage. Timothy, you are loved and you are valued. You're loved by God. You're loved by Paul. You're loved by your family. But secondly... Paul writes to Timothy and encourages him and, and tells him, you need to be encouraged because not only are you loved and valued, but Timothy, you are gifted. You have, a, you have a gift from God. And so Paul reminds him of that gift as we continue on through the passage. Paul, you're gifted. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Timothy, um, God's given you a gift. Now we mentioned Timothy was a pastor in, uh, in Ephesus, a church in Ephesus. And we know a little bit about Timothy's personality. He might have been a little bit of an introvert. Uh, he might have had some people in that, the church that were looking down on him because he was young. Later on, Paul says to Timothy, uh, don't let people look down upon you just because you're young. And imagine a young pastor coming into a church where uh, most of the congregation is quite a bit older than him. Uh, that can be intimidating. And the congregation say, what can this young, young fellow teach me? I, I remember... Uh, 
church in Chelsea, uh, Free Methodist Church. Pastor Merle Bradley's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he was a pastor there for many years and got to know Merle quite well. And uh, had a son that uh, grew up in uh, one of his churches and later on became the pastor of that church. And when he became the pastor of that church, he had some of the ladies coming up to him and saying, well, we used to change your diapers in the nursery. And... Uh, and they're like, wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. Now you're our pastor. Uh, Timothy, uh, don't let people look down upon you be, because you're young. And, and maybe Timothy's a little bit in, discouraged here. And so Paul says, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gift that, that God has given you. There's four key passages when we think about spiritual gifts that are in, in Scripture. As 1 Peter 4 Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And did you know that if you know Jesus as your Savior, that God has given you a spiritual gift? I believe it's given at the time of salvation, and that gift is, is to be discovered and developed and deployed to be used what to build up the body of Christ. So Paul says to Timothy, don't be, don't be discouraged, but I want you to, to, to make a commitment to continue to use your gift. Later on, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Uh, Ephesians 4.16, in talking about the, the, the spiritual gifts, this, uh, Paul writes, the, the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I don't know if you noticed the bulletin this morning. There's just a little simple handout that gives you a little overview of, of spiritual gifts and, and the different various categories of spiritual gifts. And, and this is probably not exhaustive, but it gives you an idea of uh, what are these gifts that, that God has given to the church and given to each of us to use to be built up um, for the, the body of Christ. And so Timothy... Timothy, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to remember that you're loved and you're valued by God, by other people, by your family. Timothy, I want you to, to, to continue to, to use that gift, that giftedness of being a pastor and being a teacher and encouraging others and, and continue on to fan that into flame and use that gift. But thirdly, Timothy, be encouraged because you are called. You are called. Look at Verse 8. Timothy, you're called. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Notice how Paul describes himself. He's in this dark, damp, mamertine prison that's basically a hole in the ground. He's been arrested by Rome. But he doesn't say, I'm Rome's prisoner. He says, God, I'm your prisoner. He, he realizes this is all part of God's sovereign plan for his life. He goes on to say, Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So here's the first call. It's not a very popular one. But Paul says to Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. And Paul's about ready to, to give his life for the gospel. It's a call to suffer. Not a very popular call, but it's the reality of, of, of the message of Scripture. And Paul suffered for the cause of the gospel. And Paul's ready to give his life for the, 
for the, the cause of the gospel. And later on in chapter 3, uh, Paul writes, uh, Timothy, you know all about my, my teaching, my way of life, my persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. So Paul's reflecting back on his missionary trips. And just about everywhere Paul went, he faced persecution. He faced suffering. He, he ends up many times in, in prison. Why? Because he's boldly preaching the gospel. So in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, when Paul's there on his missionary journey with Barnabas, they end up getting kicked out of Antioch and, and, um, sent, sent out of Antioch on not good terms. When he gets to the next town, Iconium, in Acts chapter 14, uh, here's a description of what happens in his, his next stop, Acts 14.5. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them, Paul and Barnabas, and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconium, cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country where they were continued to preach the gospel. So there was a plot to stone Paul and Barnabas. They find out about it. They say, oh, well, let's go to the next city before they catch up with us. And then he gets to, to Lystra, the next city. He, he shares the gospel and uh, here's their response. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. The resiliency of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and they, they, they stone him. They leave him for dead. And he, he finally uh, revives and he goes back into the city. And the next day, he goes on to preach the gospel. And so the call of Paul to Timothy is to join me in suffering. The danger of the prosperity gospel is that it misleads people. The prosperity gospel says, come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's not the message of Scripture. In fact, there are many believers today around the world who, who are uh, in prison, who are uh, suffering for their faith in Jesus. And every year, Open Doors Ministry um, produces the top ten list of countries where Christians are being intensely persecuted and, and giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says, Timothy, you're called, and part of that call might be to, to join, join me, join the Apostle Paul in, in suffering. But notice there's a second aspect of this call, and it's found in verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life. So the second call, Timothy, is you've been called to suffer, but you've also been called to a holy life. I love how Paul describes salvation here in verse 9. Not because of anything we have done. So our salvation is not because of anything we have done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, By grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of God, isn't it? It's, it's a gift. It simply needs to be received. And so Paul says, Timothy, you've been, been called, not because anything that you and I have done, 
but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Ephesians 1 talks about that. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we've received our salvation through Jesus, and Paul says he's destroyed death. Now that word destroyed death literally means to render inoperative. Uh, Death is still a part of our existence. But for the believer, if we have our faith in Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through what the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In Hebrews chapter 2, and the author of Hebrews is describing uh, the very purpose of why Jesus came. Uh, In verse 14 of Hebrews 2, it says, So that by his death he might break the power of him. Some translations say destroy him. He's talking about Satan who holds the power of death. That is the devil. It's the same word that's used here in, in 2 Timothy. Destroy doesn't mean to, to obliterate. The devil's still around. It means that he's been rendered powerless. And so Jesus Christ through the, the gospel has come and he's destroyed uh, the power of death in our lives if we know Christ as our Savior. So that's our call. That's Timothy's call. You've been called to holiness That's positional holiness. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we're justified. um, Our standing before Him is um, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But there's a second part of the calling of holiness that I I think perhaps Paul has in mind here, and it's practical holiness. So once we come to know Christ as our Savior and we we, uh, are trusting in Him for the forgiveness of our sins, The goal of God in our life is to make us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to conform us to Christ-likeness. Romans Romans chapter 8. For God, uh, who God foreknew, He also predestined to be what conformed to the image of His Son. So there's a calling of practical holiness. This is called sanctification. This is where we're to to grow in our Christian walk and to become more and more like Christ. And as Peter writes in the the book of 1 Peter, to to be holy because God is holy. And so, Timothy, your your calling is a positional calling because you've you've been saved, but it's also to become more and more like Christ. There's a third part of this calling. It's found in in verse, uh, verse 12. Timothy, you're called to suffer and you're called to a holy life. But Timothy, you're called to trust God in the face of death. And that's what Paul's referring to here in verse, verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am, because of the gospel. As the pattern of, uh, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, verse 12, because I know whom I have believed And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about a salvation. He's talking about uh, the third aspect of salvation. There's justification, sanctification. What's the future? Glorification. That's when we're with Christ. 
And Paul's saying, I, I, I can trust you, God, that you're going to, you're going to complete what you started in my life. And I'm facing death and very soon gonna, gonna, uh, gonna die for the sake of the gospel. And God, my trust is in you. Paul writes about it in, elsewhere in Philippians chapter one, where he's in another prison cell earlier in his life. This is not the Mamertine prison. This is, this is an, an, another prison. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so Paul was looking forward to um, the ultimate goal of being with Christ. And Paul, soon after he wrote this letter, was, was executed for the sake of the gospel and into the presence of the Lord. I love the song by Matt Redman. It's entitled 10,000 Reasons. and talks about trusting God even in the face of death. Let me read to you the, the words, the lyrics. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. The chorus, bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship Your holy name. The last verse then goes like this. And on that day, when my strength is failing, and the end draws near and my time has come, Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Paul was facing death and yet he faced death by trusting his eternal security and salvation in the hands of God. There's a, there's a fourth calling that uh, Paul writes to and we conclude with, with this. Uh, the fourth one is found in verse 14, to steward the gospel. To steward the gospel. He writes to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was trusted to you. What's the good deposit? It's, 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 it's the gospel. It's, it's those people that have built into your lives who've discipled you. It's what, what Paul uh, built into his life. And Timothy, I want you to, to guard that good deposit Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And so, uh, Timothy, you, you've had people build into your life. It's, it's been a grandmother and it's been a mother and it's been your spiritual mentor, the Apostle Paul. I hope you can look at some, some people that have, have spiritually built into your life over the years. I, I, I look back in my life and can think of at least four men who, who greatly influenced my walk with God. One of them is um, Tom Ladd Sr. Him and his wife were youth leaders in the church that I grew up in. Tom's with the Lord now, but he, he greatly influenced my life. Second one's a man by the name of David Graham. And uh, David Graham was a... Uh, uh, soccer coach and uh, athletic coach in my growing up years, but I went to a small Christian school. He was also our Bible teacher, and he had a great impact in my life. The third one is uh, my dad, who at 91, about a year ago, went home to be with the Lord. The fourth one is a man by the name of Louis Kanapka. 
Uh, when Diane and I got to Grand Rapids Seminary, um, Louie and his wife Mona were about four or five years older than Diane and I were, a little further down the road, and we didn't have any kids at the time. They had two children, and we spent a lot of time with uh, Louie and Mona. I ended up working for them in a little painting business, but what they did is that they mentored us and they shepherded us. And so Paul's reminding Timothy about uh, all those people who built into your life and now you've got the gospel. And Timothy, I want you to guard the gospel. Earlier in 1 Timothy, we read that there were, were false teachers that were, were uh, trying to infiltrate the church. 1 Timothy 1.3, I urge you, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. So there are people that were coming in the church that were, were preaching false doctrine, fake, fake news, fake truth. That's such a word. And Paul says, you need to guard the gospel. Guard that deposit of the gospel. Well, timeless truths for troubled times. Young Timothy is living in a troubled time. He's facing persecution. He's facing some challenges in the church. He's facing the loss of his mentor and close friend, the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes to him. He says, I want you to be encouraged, Timothy. Be encouraged because you are loved. One of Satan's greatest tools in our lives is discouragement. And that happens when we begin to focus on our own circumstances and we forget to focus on, on God who's greater than those circumstances and we begin to, begin to uh, focus on, on our circumstances and not the truth of God's word and his promises. Timothy, be encouraged. You're loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by others, the Apostle Paul, your family. And Timothy, now I want you to be a conduit of that love. And that's part of our charge today, isn't it? That if we know Christ as our Savior, if we're part of the body of Christ, well, one of our callings is what? To love others. And in fact, First Peter 1 talks about loving others with a, with a sincere heart. And uh, let me read the, read the verse. Now that you've been purified so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And that word loving deeply is a word picture of a, a someone who's running a, a, a hundred meter dash and they get to the finish line and they want to be first and so they stretch forth to, to, to break the tape. I want you to not only realize you're loved, but I want you to be a conduit of love to others. Timothy, you need to be encouraged because you're gifted. Continue to use that gift and fan it into flame. And this morning as we're here if you know Christ as your Savior, you're, you are gifted as well. And we need to discover that gift and, and, and develop that gift and deploy that gift to, to build up the body of Christ. And lastly, be encouraged because you're called. It may be a call to suffering. And God will give you the strength to endure. But you're also called to holiness. You're called to, to guard the deposit of the gospel and to share it with others. You're called to trust God, even in death. Well, in these troubled times in which we live, I want you to be encouraged because God loves you with an everlasting love. And we need to be a conduit of that love to others. Be encouraged because God has gifted, gifted you to, to build up and use that gift to, to build up the body of Christ. And God has called us with an everlasting calling of the gospel 
to share it, to trust God even at our last breath. I trust that you will be encouraged to live those truths out in these challenging days. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the encouragement that Paul wrote to Timothy from that dark cell, that dark hole in the ground, as he was uh, facing imminent execution He takes the time to write and encourage young Timothy. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be encouraged this morning as we understand and grasp your great love for us. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, I pray that uh, every person here has uh, received that gift of salvation by putting their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, I thank you for those that have have loved us and have mentored us and have built into our lives a, a spiritual mentor, a, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather. Lord, thank you for that godly legacy. Lord, I pray that we would in turn then be a conduit of your love and blessing as we build into the lives of the next generation. And Lord, never forget, help us never to forget our calling. You have called us to holiness Uh, Lord, perhaps in our changing culture, you may call us to suffer. We pray that if that comes into our life, that we would do it well for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, you've called us to, to guard the deposit of the gospel. To make sure that uh, your truth and the message of salvation, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, is protected and passed on to others. Lord, may we be encouraged today for um, all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do. We will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.